Welcome to the True Face Podcast, where we have conversations about what we can learn from what's going on in our lives. My name is Robbie Angle, and I'll be your guide as we learn how to increase trust and experience grace. Most of us get stuck in our relationships with God and others, and we end up wondering, is this really all there is to it? True Face equips you to experience deeper relationships with God and others, equipping a growing group of men and women with a toolbox of teaching and experiences to help you become more fully known, fully loved, and fully alive. And part of this journey of following Jesus is uh, stretching and growing. And by the nature, discipleship and formation indicates change. Change universally comes with growth. Uh, well, growth universally comes with change. Change is always difficult. And uh dynamic. And so I've been thinking about that in my own life. Who's stretching me? How do I grow? Um, And how do I learn from others? And God knew my uh, desires and introduced me to a new friend about six months ago. And this guy, this guy, he's a new friend and we've hung out a few times since then. And I want to be like him, but I don't know about y'all, but if you meet somebody that from the beginning, you know, they're like smarter than you, uh, more interesting than you, and probably more crazy than you in like a good way. I don't meet those people too often, uh, which sounds really arrogant. Like I think I'm smarter and more crazy than some people. It's more the crazy piece, but uh, Joe Rice has been such a fun new friend who's been challenging me to grow and think differently. And so I'm so excited to share uh, this new friend with y'all, Joe, Dr. Joe Rice. Welcome to the True Face Podcast, man. How are you? Thank you, Robbie. I'm well today. So appreciate you, Joe. I don't even know how to give a bio uh, for you before we jump in today. Um, but you're in Texas. You've been married for 28 years, four kids. Um, when you were in college, you had a Palestinian roommate. That in, then you ended up moving to Central Asia living with a Central Asian family for what turned from weeks into years with them. Then you spent time in the Middle East, England, Turkey. In the early 2000s, you started Engaging Worlds as a social impact organization. And all your cross-cultural experience, uh, you, you grew in your desire and conviction for clear, accurate, and appropriate scripture translations which is critical for any lasting movement of spiritual growth among Muslims, which is your passion and your hope uh, and your, your love for Muslim people. And so you studied Arabic in 2006 with focusing on linguistics and translations. You went to Oxford where you got your PhD in Islamic studies, and you might be one of the most interesting men I've ever met in my life. So what am I missing here, Joe? What are you missing? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I'm very passionate. Um, I'm very passionate about relationship. I'm very passionate about Muslims. I love Muslims. And I'm very passionate about following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, uh, where he leads me to grow. And um, and very passionate about growing myself and spiritual formation. So, yeah, I don't know if you missed that, but... Uh, That's well said. So part of your story, I, I don't know where we're going to go today because pretty much everything we've talked about, I want to record and share with my friends because I go home and tell my wife, I was like, yeah, I hung out with Joe 
And I don't know how to explain our conversation, but I, I felt inspired and to love Jesus better and challenged in different ways. Uh, so you were doing work in Central Asia. You, you were relatively young at this point. There was a there was a, a verse or a framework that led you to live with a family that then turned into something. Unpack that chapter just for fun. Sure. Um, when my wife and I got married, we we knew that we wanted to work overseas, uh, and um, we knew that we wanted to work with unreached peoples. And we had the opportunity to go to Central Asia, to Uzbekistan, and uh, some weeks before we left, uh, we were in an orientation program, and somehow we stumbled on uh, the passage where Jesus explains to his disciples what he wants them to do, and um, Jesus said, when you go to a city, find a man of peace and live with him, and it, it struck me and struck my wife, uh, and we thought, well, oh, okay. <laughs> Who does that? Uh, and the more we thought about it, the more we realized, wow, we we just want to do that. Um, like like we want to see if that's what God would have for us. And so we we got to the field and pretty much as soon as we got there, expressed our desire to uh, to the team that was there that we 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 want to live with we want to live with uh, with a Central Asian family and. Um, it took some time to figure out how to do that. Uh, that wasn't an easy thing. And in the end, it, it involved a little bit of, uh, uh, well, I was in a context and in a conversation where uh, a Central Asian was paying his last payment of money on a house that he'd bought. And so uh, at this point, I didn't speak the language at all. And so I simply asked the person to receive the money and said, okay, now that he's given you the money back, ask him if I can live with him. So um, I did. <laughs> It was he did, and in the end, there were. I, I of course I didn't know this until years later. There was quite a bit of discussion about whether that would be the thing to do or not, and that would be right. And finally, the um, the grandpa of the family said, uh, "God will bless this family if we let uh, Joe and his wife and young son move in. I'm moving out of my rooms. He can live. He can live in my room." And um, again, I didn't know about that for until years later. Um, but then we moved in uh, initially it had been for six weeks. My wife and I had a pact that, uh, short of, uh, some life threatening disease that we were just going to gut it out, but that at six weeks, uh, she had the opportunity to bail for any reason. And, and there was no explanation needed. All she had to do is just say, mm, this isn't working. And I, despite my, uh, very high D personality, uh, promised that I would, uh, not comment and would just, we would just move. So we got to six weeks and that didn't happen and got to three months and that didn't happen. And finally, about a year and a half into it, the family said, are you, are you guys leaving? <laughs> and we said, no, we're not. <laughs> and, uh, eventually we were able to buy the house next door and tear down the wall and share an outhouse and basically live as one kind of large family. And yeah, that just to this, in fact, we're going to a birthday party tomorrow with the, with the daughter of this same family. So it, it's still, still ongoing. Unbelievable. And the family's still in Uzbekistan, Uzbekistan, except for the daughter. That's right. Wow. That's amazing. How many years did you live with this Muslim family? In we lived Uzbekistan? with them seven, seven years. What, what are, I mean, I can't, 
we don't have time to unpack all the principles that you learn from that for, but for those of us listening who haven't lived with a Muslim family in another culture for seven years, uh, what are a couple of things that, uh, God taught you during that time? Sure. I mean, I think the thing that my wife and I talk about most is just uh, if, if God gives you the, if, if one has the calling to be a cross-cultural worker, you have to accept that you lose control. If you get in the car, you don't know where you're going uh, initially because you don't understand anything they're saying. Uh, but even then you just don't understand all that's happening culturally. And uh yeah, so you're on a ride, and uh, you just have to go with it, and you have to be okay with not being in control of what you eat, of so many basic functions of life. Uh, you just have to trust that uh, the way they do it is going to work, uh, that you won't die, and that um, it's okay to do it their way and let go of personal preference and comfort. And um, yeah, that's the biggest lesson we've learned. That's You've got awesome. to learn to love it. You have to just learn to embrace it and learn to be, to be okay with a, a, the challenge of understanding, trying always to understand why, why does this culture, why does my friend do things the way they do? Because it doesn't make sense to me. And, and of course, a high tolerance for being embarrassed. That's also really important. So, um, so there's a lot of, uh, after those seven years, uh, that led to a journey where you're eventually getting a PhD in Islamic studies at Oxford and studying in Syria. Was it Syria? Mm -hmm. Um, what was that journey and progression? Uh, what did that look like and, and why? Yeah. Well, in order to tell this, this story at all, um, I, I have to say that it's about five years into, uh, into my life in Central Asia, I had the opportunity to study for two weeks with Dallas Willard. Um, and it was really that event um, that really uh, turned my life upside down um, in, in ways that we could talk about more than this one conversation. Um, but I just realized during that uh, conversation that uh, the assignment I was in, that uh, in order to be successful within my organization that I, that I really needed that, that I had to ask myself the question, what kind of person will I become if I'm successful in what's expected of me? And I decided I didn't want to become that person. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be that person. And this came uh, during a moment of two days of solitude and silence and where I really began to internalize, well, who, who am I and who am I becoming? And um, how can I, activate my will and not be passive in that. Um, so that was the beginning of really of, of this journey. Um, and it, it was life changing for me. Uh, I was, um, had met up with my wife for one of our big anniversaries. Can't, can't keep those straight. I think the 10th and we had met up in the airport in Dallas and then flown to Alaska. And so to spend a couple of weeks and we were in the parking lot coming out of a Walmart in the middle of the night, still daytime. And she just looked at me and she just said, what happened to you? And, um, I, I, I was shocked, uh, that she would ask the question and, uh, I said, I don't know what, what are, what are you talking about? And she just said, you treated that person who you checked out with in, in the, in the store in a way that I, 
I just had never seen in you and didn't know that you were, you were capable of. And, um, of course I thought, oh my gosh, what a jerk I've been. And, um, and I actually had my brother affirm that a few days ago. So (laughs) it's come up again where, where he was explaining to somebody, look, I know, I know Joe listens a lot and you think he's a really listening guy, but as his brother, he hasn't always been that way. And, um, uh, which again is a rich vein of things to talk about. But um, yeah, so my journey of listening to other people and becoming the kind of person who who's able to listen to other people probably began uh, in that in that seminar on the spiritual disciplines. And then when we went back to Central Asia, uh, at some point, I, I, I guess at some level, I just wondered, well, who's who's listening to Muslims? Like who's actually listening to them? Uh, and I, even on some really basic issues of, uh, of, uh, I mean, who, who's read the Quran and I realized that most people haven't, and I was disturbed by that and, uh, realized that, um, at least I, to make an I statement, hadn't really valued what Muslims believed or thought enough to try and understand it. And that was a real shift in our journey where uh, we begin to pray and, ask God, would, would you lead us to understand um, Muslims better and to listen to them? The, I have two questions about that. The, the first one, the Dallas Willard time, give a little bit more words to what happened in your heart that led to loving others differently with a more empathetic, listening, attentive presence. Well, sure. My first recommendation was, would be to read his books. And if those are too difficult, start with James Bryan Smith. I'll give a plug for, for him as a good starting place. Uh, and of course, uh, some of Robbie's stuff as well is super helpful. Um, again, this basic concept of it's not what I do, it's who I am. And uh, for, for, for people in high expectation jobs, high performance jobs, I mean, that is a really radical shift. I mean, that's just a really radical shift in the way you evaluate your life. And the way you plan, the way you set goals, um, and I, and some of that is in, in a, if, if really in an extended time of of uh, silence and solitude. Uh, when when you're focusing on not doing anything that you consider productive, so not doing anything that you think God would reward you for, or that you think would, um, maybe even contribute to your like, there's no agenda in it. But you're just going to be passive and listening to God. Uh, and I think for anyone who's done that, the first two, three, four hours are pretty simple, pretty easy. But at some point around hour five or hour six, when when uh, you've either realized that you're slipping back into trying to think and read about things that just will help you be better in your ministry or like you're back into the performance thing again. Uh, and, and the more you, you you just begin to realize, OK, wow, I've got a real problem here. Like I really do. I. I mean, am I trying to earn God's love? Like, do I really think God loves me more um, because I do ministry better? Or, but, or, yeah. So that that to me is and that is a, that was the result of a long journey that began with an experience of Romans five five. For God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom He's given to us. That started when I was eighteen or nineteen. So it, it, coming to realize that God has poured out His love into my heart regardless of my performance, regardless of what I earned. But nonetheless, despite having been on that journey for more than 10 or 12 years, something just happened in my 
uh, early 30s there with Dallas Willard. Secondly, I think would be uh, just um, the fresh perspective that Dallas brought to the kingdom of God um, and realizing that it's the availability of the presence of God, which is something that still continues to work out, be hashed out in my life even today, even, even this morning. So um, just the, the depth of that uh, statement and of all that, um, that Jesus reveals about that, but that Dallas helped us tune back into. Um, I mean, we all suffer from a bias that, that we, don't, we don't see what's all around us. Like we can miss things. And I've had, I think in the end, we should all have a few of those existential moments where we realize that the way I've looked at the world is um, that, I, that I'm deceiving myself. Um, and, and Dallas helped me realize that I didn't see the world. I wasn't seeing reality. I wasn't living in reality. Yeah. Dallas's definition of the kingdom of the range of God's, the, the range of God's effective will, um, right. is, it is really helpful for me. And in praying the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done <clears throat> of which the range of God's effective will his kingdom, his, his, his scope of effective influence and will with the Holy Spirit in me, I am a part of the kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God, the range of his Correct. effective will is in my life and those I come in, to, in contact with. So, man, that prayer now has different uh, weight for me of your kingdom come, your will. Yeah, it's available come. to me. That, that reign and rule of God is available to me, and it's available through me to the world around me. Which is um, amazing. That to me is the... The, the the Dallas's way of looking at Matthew five and the and the beatitudes, um, I think, is particularly helpful in that that, that the kingdom of God is available to even people like this. Um, I think that's which then gets expanded in Paul to realize that the kingdom of God is even available to non Jews. That was the big issue, uh, of really, of the New Testament. Um. It's interesting knowing more about your story, connecting some of these dots that others might not know as much of in connecting dots from, you know, in order to stay with the organization you were with, you'd have to do life in a way that you weren't comfortable with. Um, and what you learned uh, in that moment, uh, in that those days of solitude and that time with Dallas Willard um, in, in access and security and identity. Uh, we t- we've talked about of, of Western approaches to loving other people, uh, the car wash mentality, which just feels different. Uh, that, that I've been thinking a lot about that since we had lunch. But unpack that for me a little bit. Some of the tensions and approaches, which have strengths and negatives, but uh, and, and what love looks like from your opinion. Sure. Well, that, those are two really big questions. I think uh, Robbie's referring to a metaphor that I've used or that came to me recently, just um, that we really can't reduce the kingdom of God to a car, a car wash where, you know, we pay our money and we drive in and we get clean and then uh, we drive away again into our dirty world. Um, You mean we pray the prayer, we're saved, we're good. In your words. Yes. So, uh, and, you know, those who are lucky enough to own a white car, uh, they stay clean for a long time. Those with black cars, uh, they're not sure why they even get car washes at all. And um, those who lived in paved neighborhoods, they just marvel at how clean their car stays. And those who live down a red dirt road just give up on having a clean car at all. And, um, yeah, at some point you, you just have to ask, is that 
Was that what Jesus was doing? Was that what he was inviting people into? He's the master of the kingdom. Um, and, and is that really what it's all about? Um, and I think probably that unsettledness that I, and I think a lot of us share of just the reduction of the kingdom of God to some kind of sin management program. And sometimes it's not really even sin management. It's just some kind of watershed moment where we kind of think about our sin and hope God forgave us. And then after that, we're just banking on heaven as a place we go when we die. And, um, as Dallas would say, uh, God is committed to letting everybody into heaven that he possibly can. So the, the issue isn't here trying to somehow exclude uh, people from heaven who, who have a car wash view. It's just to say Jesus is inviting us to so much more. There's so much more there. And in the world that we live in today, uh, our invitation to the kingdom of God has to be that so much more. Um, and maybe there, there was a time when um, kind of a, repent, you know, turn or burn kind of approach was, um, made a lot of sense, but, uh, those days are, I mean, the statistics and demographics and the response of our society to Christianity and its claims are, are proof. I think that, that we, we have to do better. We have to do, we have to think about it some more. I, that loving others with intentionality with a high degree of relational presence rooted in the security of, of our identity <clears throat> is a different approach. And it does look like, like Jesus doing life and walking with over the course of time uh, doesn't feel like a, oh, salvation, car wash, you're good. It feels like a very different patient uh, journey of relational discipleship in regards to let's walk together and live together and grow together uh, for the rest of our lives as a, as the working of his kingdom. Is that what I hear you saying? Has I think, no, that's good. Um, you know, there are a few things that you have to kind of put ahead of that. And again, back to, to what we've already talked about. At some point you have to realize that being effective as a, an, an, an advisor or as, as an evangelist in the, Jesus sense of the word is really about who I am. It's not, not me learning some new behaviors and that that um, intangible character formation is like, it's not optional. I mean, it's, it, it really isn't. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it, so we can't, we can't tomorrow decide that we're going to do things a different way and really be on the right track in terms of, of this. And I personally, I think in the end that, um, there is a reliance on what God is doing around us immediately. I mean, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's like, it's right here. It's right now. It's available right now. We have to walk with that same kind of, uh, that same kind of an, an awareness. And I don't know, there's a story. Do you mean to tell a story, Robbie? I love your stories, Joe. So, uh, about 10 days ago, we were packing up the, we have an, an older Airstream. We were packing up the Airstream to drive it to South Padre Island. Have I told you this story? No. Okay. And um, packed it all up. And I, we were going on a Sunday and on the way about an hour into the drive, I, we stopped and I preached in a small church. And so I was getting ready to go and I looked and one of the sidewalls on my tire was, well, it was failing. I mean, it, it had dry rot. And um, I thought, oh my gosh, this is Sunday, January the 1st. 
nobody's open. What am I going to do? I'm not going to make it, you know, eight hours down to. So I, I, we went, um, preached, did, and then started looking for tire shops, didn't find any. Th- finally, we found a place in Central Texas, uh, a guy who would answer the phone. And he said, well, uh, well, first of all, his, his accent was so thick, I just couldn't hardly understand him. But he said, um, you know, drive to my shop. I've, I've, there's a, a worker there and he just happens to be there. Otherwise, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to help you until I'm done with where I'm at. And so, so we went and um, started talking to the, to the worker. And the first thing he said to me is he said, well, um, uh, was he grumpy? I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, was, was my boss on the phone? Was he grumpy? And I said, well, maybe. He's like, well, he's usually really grumpy. And I said, okay. So about 20 minutes later, he shows up and uh, he, he unfortunately has lost his wedding ring in the engine of his car somewhere. And um, we shake hands and we talk and his name is, his name is, is Bone, uh, Mr. Bone, which took me by surprise. And so um, we walked back into the back room and I thought, okay, this is not, this isn't an opportunity to be afraid. This is an opportunity to embrace what God's about to do. I mean, I don't know what'll happen. So we go back there for him to write up the ticket. So we start talking and before you know it, he's telling me all about his life, all about, uh, about everything. I mean, just, he's just talking to me and uh, about 30 minutes in, he looks at me and he says, I don't know what's happening right now. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, he said, I don't like people. He says, I don't like people and I don't talk to customers. So this that you and me are doing right here, I don't do this. Uh, And he said, in fact, I don't like my workers. I usually just cuss them out all the time. That's my default. And um, so I don't know why we're having this conversation. And then he stopped and he said, but, but, but he said, but I'll tell you when you walked around the corner and I saw you, I thought to myself, this is a different kind of a guy. This is somebody different. And, and then he asked me at this point, he said, can I call you? Um, I, he says, sometimes I just need somebody to talk to. He said, can I just call you? And I said, well, I said, Mr. Bone, of course, you can call me anytime that you want. And as this is unfolding in front of me, I thought to myself, because I honestly wasn't sure how to answer all of his questions. He asked me a lot of very interesting questions and I wasn't sure. And like, I, I had no agenda in the conversation, like really literally none, but I thought to myself, okay, Jesus walks like this. Like Jesus walks into moments where suddenly a person's heart is open and they're talking to him in a way that they never thought they would talk to anybody else in the world. So, and my point of this whole story is to say, that's not something you do. Like I didn't do anything walking into that tire shop. Uh, it, and, and, and I, and I'm not, there's no, I'm not proud enough to think that there's anything special about me except what God does in my heart. But I thought to myself, God, thank you for helping me become this kind of a person. And, you know, please let this, let this happen some more and help me to know what to say. I think that in the end, when we talk about love and, and, um, evangelism, which is not a word I'm very fond of, um, that, that we've followed Jesus' example in that, in creating a, a space where people find themselves talking to us and people find themselves sharing with us. And they, and they realize maybe for the first time in their lives, 
oh my gosh, this person is actually listening to me. Um, I'll take a break there, but uh, Joe, yeah. I want to leave it at that. And I want us to push negative 30 seconds on Spotify or whatever a few times and be reminded of that. Um, and I want to leave that as a prayer of blessing over everybody listening that says, uh, God, let it be so that you will do that as we get to be a part of your kingdom work. And <clears throat> I want to have you, uh, I want to continue this conversation and to continue to record it. Cause I've got a bunch more questions. So are you good to do a part two right now? Sure. All right. So part two, I'm going to leave this cliffhanger because I'm going to come back and pick Joe's brain about, uh, empathy dreams in the Muslim world. And, uh, as a guy who, um, knows the Quran, understands Muslims more than most Muslims that I know, uh, and from my time living in Pakistan, uh, just the wisdom and what you've learned from other cultures. So that's part two of this for everybody listening. This is awesome to have these conversations and be a part of the broader True Face tribe. Share with your friends. Check out engagingworlds.org. That's where Joe spends his time and effort. Uh, Dr. Joe Rice, we'll see you in a couple weeks for part two.